Hallelujah, hallelujah. Well, this is part three of this series, part two of Faith and Expectations. Faith and Expectations. They go together. They go together. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. Say that with me this morning. Faith is the substance of things hoped for. The evidence of things not seen. What is faith? Just checking to see if you remember, you know. know, Sometimes you quickly forget, right? The substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Now, isn't it amazing that our whole calling as Christians is to walk by what? So our entire calling is based upon something we don't see. Wow. Something we don't see. Imagine your whole life based on something you don't see. But yet you have an evidence it's real. That's what Christianity is. It's an entire life based on something that is more real to you than what you can see with your physical eyes. In church, you know, it's amazing. The church in the last, I guess you would say, really, there's always been a battle from the conception of the church 2,000 years ago when Christ ascended. There's always been a battle to take us away from the tree of life and bring us back to the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Remember Adam and Eve in the garden. Their choice was you can eat from the tree of life or you can eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. It was a choice given to them. The tree of life would give them everlasting life. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil would give them a knowledge of what? Good and evil. Let me ask you a question. Did they choose that tree for the good or the evil? Think about that. Did they choose it for the good or the evil? See, that's the, that's the, the deception of the tree. Well, I don't think Adam and Eve were sitting there saying, you know what, we want to be evil. So we're going to eat from that tree. Because Satan didn't point out the evil of the tree. He pointed out the good of the tree. See, Satan doesn't tell you what sin does to you. He tells you how it'll feel when you do it. Sin doesn't tell you, now, I'm going to get you to do this because you're really going to enjoy it and it's going to feel good and there's going to be pleasure in it. He doesn't tell you, but afterwards you'll die. In fact, when Adam and Eve challenged Satan back and said, oh, no, no, God said you don't eat of this or you'll die. They said, oh, no, 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 you won't die. Isn't it amazing how every day we wake up in the morning assuming we won't die that day? But how close are we to death at any given moment from conception? 
How close are we? I mean, when you're in the womb, you're so close as your mama's decision. Why even let this baby live or not? In our culture, <laughs> but I mean, 60 million babies never even got the choice. 60 million babies in America have literally not even been given the choice whether they'd live or die. Mama made the choice for me. Because mama, mama heard sex was good. So she yielded to it. Most that have sex know that a baby can be made. But most say it won't happen to me. In fact, I would say the average before marriage sexual encounter wasn't done to conceive a baby. Now, I have seen situations where, you know, someone would purposefully conceive to force a marriage or something like that. That's pretty crazy, but it happens. Yeah, I'm going to get pregnant, then he'll have to marry me. Or I'm going to get her pregnant, then she'll have to marry me. I've seen that, experienced that with people. But it's what's conceived that we have to live with for a long time. Sin, when it has conceived, brings forth death. So we come into the church, and from the day God created the heavens and the earth, it's been supernatural. In fact, when he spoke and said, let there be light, you would say that creation of light was supernatural. When he spoke and it became, that's supernatural. Adam and Eve lived from a tree called the tree of life, and if they ate the fruit from that tree of life, they would live forever. The first thing that happened when they chose the wrong tree and ate from the tree of knowledge and good and evil is God said, now you can no longer eat from the tree of life. And there was actually, the scripture says, an angel with a sword of fire set at the entrance that protected the tree of life that they could never eat from that tree again. And one of the restoration promises in the book of Revelation is that you'll begin to again eat from the tree of life. The Bible even says that the tree of life, its leaves are for the healing of the nations. So God gives us a choice of life and death, and that choice is, in fact, very supernatural. It's amazing that everything in the Bible is supernatural except the American church. So everything that we're told to believe, I mean, we're told to believe that a woman got pregnant without a man. We're told that a virgin conceived and that a child was born of her who was without sin and lived a perfect life. And that child ruled the elements. He could walk on water. He could raise the dead, heal the sick, create. The child could do anything. It's all supernatural. Everything Jesus did, it said they've never seen anything like this before. He could cast out demons. He could command angels. That's pretty supernatural. 
And then he began to speak about what was going to happen so that we could all be supernatural. He said, I'm doing all this to get you back to the tree of life. I'm doing all this to get you back to the tree of life. I'm trying to pull you away from the tree of knowledge and get you back to the tree of life. And that's a supernatural tree. It's a tree that I've been eating from now for 41 years. How long you've been eating from it? It's a good tree. But it's not the knowledge of good and evil. Religion is like a tree that sits beside the tree of life. And religion tries to get us to be in a certain kind of behavior based upon reason. Not based upon command, based upon reason. There's a reason I do what I do. The tree of knowledge of good and evil gives us many reasons to do many things. And the tree of knowledge of good and evil has as much good as evil. Isn't that amazing? One day, someone walked up to Jesus and said, good teacher. He stopped him right there. said, whoa, whoa, whoa. Why do you call me good there is none good but God. Why, why would he say that? Was, wasn't Jesus God? Yes, but the young man didn't come and say, Jesus, son of God. He came and said, good teacher. So that man had not identified Jesus as the Christ. He identified him as just a rabbi, a teacher. And Jesus stopped him and said, there's none good but God. There's none good but God. And to this day, there is this great, it's almost like as strong as a pull of gravity to pull you in to a form of religion without supernatural. To pull you into a form of religion. The Bible says there's a form of godliness, but it denies the power Thereof. That word power is the word we would use for supernatural. It denies the supernatural thereof. It denies the miraculous power thereof. There's a way that seems right to men, the scripture says, but the end of that way is death. And so we spend every day we awaken and we ask ourselves a question, is this day going to be a day that I live from a tree of knowledge or is this a day I live from the life of God, which is supernatural? Are you with me? Are you tracking with me so far? So in this series, as we're talking about the supernatural church, last week we went through all the scriptures that gave us an expectation of a supernatural walk with God as Christians. Now, in Galatians 5.15, it says, But if you bite and devour one another, beware lest you be consumed by one another. I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Walk in the Spirit, I say. Walk in the Spirit, I say. You know, I would 
venture to say that if you went and you begin to interview people who identify as Christians or ones who believe in Christ in America, and you walked up to, and in fact, I would, I would encourage you to do this in the next few days. Just interview people and just say, can I ask you a question? Uh, you know, our pastor was teaching us something in church Sunday. What do you think this means? Walk in the Spirit. And then give them this reference. It's, it's right there in Galatians 5.16. It says, I say, walk in the Spirit. And then ask them, say, what does that mean? And you will be shocked at the answers you get. <laughs> well, one answer you'll get a lot is, well, I guess it means you try to be good. Oh, no, no, that's the wrong tree. <laughs> Remember, we keep, the, the devil's entire strategy is to pull us back to that other tree again. Good. Problem between good and God, there's one too many zeros there. Right? So, what does that mean? You walk in the spirit. Well, I, uh, uh, I mean, try to get a definition from people. In fact, try to form your own definition right now. What is your definition of that? What does that mean? Walk in the Spirit. Let me ask you this question. Can you do that without a supernatural experience? Why not? Some are shaking their head no. Why? Because the Spirit is supernatural. There's two, there's, there's these planes of existence we call dimensions. And one of the planes of existence is a dimension. It's been called the fourth dimension. It's a dimension outside what our natural senses can identify with. It's a dimension outside what we can taste, smell, touch, feel, hear. See, we can't see it, we can't feel it, we can't touch it, we can't taste it, we can't smell it, but it's real. You know, it's amazing as they've gotten into, you know, quantum mechanics, quantum physics, they tell us now that everything that is real is made from something that's not. For example, this microphone is actually made from invisible. Isn't that crazy? That's what, that's what quantum physics tell us. It's, it's made from invisible things. How can invisible become visible? It's, it's insane how this stuff works. It's so mind-blowing because your mind can't get all the way around it. So walk in the spirit. You know, we have all the Christians say, I have a hard time doing what Jesus told me to do. I have a hard time obeying him. I know his word says not to do things and to do things, but don't, the things that he said not to do, I end up doing the things he told me to do, I end up not doing. Paul talked about that in Romans 7. But he said, if you walk in the spirit, you will not fulfill the lust of the flesh. And then he tells us what the lust of the flesh is. All the bad stuff. Anything we would call bad, evil, or sin is categorized in those words, lust of the flesh. 
That's anything you do or can do that's bad. And isn't it funny that when we look at these verses like this, walk in the Spirit, very little emphasis is put on that in the average church. This church is a little different. We put a huge emphasis on this. Why? Because there's no other way to walk and not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Are you saying that everyone in this building right now is not fulfilling the lust of the flesh? No. I'm saying those in this building who walk in the Spirit are not fulfilling the lust of the flesh. But you can get in this building all day long without walking in the Spirit. Are you hearing me? See, you had to start walking in the Spirit the moment you woke up this morning. You had to start walking in the Spirit. And how do I walk in the Spirit, Dave? Well, I'm going to give you a definition that is a Bible definition. And if you'll get this, then when you ask other people, you'll find out how screwed up people really are. To walk in the Spirit means to be controlled by the Holy Spirit. It's that simple. Let's not complicate it. It means to be controlled by the Holy Spirit. There is no other definition. That's it. So if I am controlled by the Holy Spirit, then I will not yield to my flesh. Why? I can't be controlled by my flesh and the Holy Spirit at the same time. And Paul said these things are opposites. And they're contrary to one another. And he said they fight all the time within us. So it's who I yield to. What I yield to that makes a difference. Now, Galatians, if we keep reading on down, we won't read it all for time's sake, but verse 24, it says, those who are Christ's, have you, let me ask you a question first of all, how many of y'all are his, your Christ, okay? Then the Bible says you have, that's past tense, crucified, what? The flesh, remember the flesh always stands for bad me, everybody say bad me. You've crucified bad me and all bad me's passions and desires. Bad me has passions. And bad me has desires. And them things are strong. In fact, they're too strong for any of us to overcome on our own. In fact, I will say, I will go as far as, far as to say it's impossible for any man, woman, child, any human being, it's impossible for you to do this without his power. So isn't it amazing that the devil's first designed strategy is to separate you, the church, from his power, the Holy Spirit. He tells you things like these things passed away. He tells you things like these things have ceased. The Holy Spirit's power in your life ceased when Paul died. The Holy Spirit's power in your life no longer is relevant. You got the written Bible now. They had the written Bible then. They'll say, we have the Bible now. Paul was the Bible. He wrote it. 
Because if, if that was true, then Paul would have said, I don't need the Holy Spirit because I'm writing the Bible right now. I don't need him. No, no. Paul made it clear. We've got to desire every gift that God has given in this supernatural battle between the flesh and walking in the spirit. And if you don't think that's a fight, you probably didn't wake up yet this morning. And then verse 25 says, if we live in the spirit, let us also again, what? Walk in the spirit. So what is your expectation when you wake up in the morning? In other words, every one of us wake up with an expectation of a day, don't we? I mean, I don't know about you. I woke up this morning. I, I woke up at 5.30. And I had an expectation. What am I going to do today? So I woke up at 5.30. I took a shower. And I went in and I turned on worship and I started praying. And I prayed till about a quarter to seven. And then I got in my truck and drove here and walked in here and prayed again. Why? I'm trying to walk in the Spirit. Well, why do you, you don't have to pray that much. The average preacher don't pray that much, I know. <laughs> That's the problem. <laughs> That's a real problem. In fact, the average clergyman in America prays less than five minutes a day. I pray five minutes before I get out of bed. So we, we've got this expectation. So when we say, I'm going to walk in the Spirit today, everybody gets up with a day, some kind of a day plan. We used to have things, day planners. Remember the day planners before all the technology came out? We actually had to write stuff out. We had these calendars. They give us these cool little booklets of day planners. And you planned your day. Well, when you wake up in the morning, you've got to plan Today, I'm either going to walk in the spirit or I'm going to walk in the flesh. And you don't just assume you're going to walk in the spirit. Why? Because every inclination in your body says, no, you're not. Every physical inclination inside you makes you not want to walk in the spirit. And that's why that scripture says, I've crucified that part. The day you don't crucify the flesh is the day you don't walk in the spirit. And the day you walk in the spirit means you have already crucified the flesh. So how do I do that? The answer is not without help. <laughs> how do I do that? And it's got to be supernatural. I've watched people. I remember one time when we started our first church in 1986, we, we, we attracted a, a, a real host of young warriors, I'm going to call them, young men and women who were on fire. That was in the height of the charismatic movement. And I mean to tell you, man, people were so fired up about the baptism of the Holy Ghost and the miracle power of God. It was unreal. And every... We started attracting young families, and and I remember there was a couple of young men that came in, and I'm a, I mean these guys were warriors, man. 
They were strong as garlic. I mean, they were warriors. They were men's men. You know what I mean? These guys were men. They were tough. And I remember there was this one, and as I began to be his pastor, and he, I mean, we led him to Christ. This was from day one, boom, boom, boom. In fact, I knew him all through school growing up. I knew him in high school. Tough dude. I would never want to fight him. Of course, my size, I didn't want to fight many people. And you didn't want to fight my friends. Anyway, that's another story. So I remember this guy, and I remember as he began to grow in Christ, he was zealous, man, strong. I mean, you say devil. Where's he at? Let me at him. I mean, he was just one of them guys. He was on fire for God. But I began to notice something about his life. He was very busy. He's what we call in the world a shaker and a mover. Shaker and a mover. I mean, this guy was always busy, always doing something. Another word for him would have been a workaholic. And as this guy began to grow in the church, probably about a year into it, I began to see a trend that began to trouble me as his shepherd, as his pastor. I began to notice that, and I'll say it this way, and maybe it was the Holy Spirit revealing this to me, but it became very obvious to me, and though not obvious to many others, you're doing this by willpower, not by Holy Ghost power. Oh, he was as zealous as any spirit-filled man I'd ever seen. But I began to notice, and how do you know that, Dave? Because as I got to know him very well, and I began to know his life, I couldn't factor in a prayer time in his life. When do you pray? Because you get up and you hit the ground running a hundred, and you run a hundred till midnight where you drop. So when do you pray? And when do you study your Bible? Now, he was, he had never missed a church service. Never missed a church service. In fact, he was the first one there and usually the last one to leave. And any work that needed done in the church, he'd do it twice as good and twice as fast as anybody else. Never said no. Hey, can you help me with this? I'll be there. But I, one day I cornered him. This might have been between one and two years into his walk with God. And I said, bro, I need to talk to you. What, what, what? I said, you ain't going to win this by willpower. I said, how's your time with God? How's your prayer life? Are you studying the word? Do you, I mean, oh yeah, you, you follow me along my sermons when I preach, and you got your Bible, and you got your... You even mark it. You even make notes. But do you, ever, do you ever open that Bible again until I preach the next time? Because you're a tough dude, man. You got a lot of willpower. But I said, there's one tougher than you. And if you don't get this right, he's going to clean your clock. Because... There ain't a human born yet that can match wits or will 
with the devil. You got to realize something. He was the wisest, most powerful being God ever created. <laughs> I mean, the devil has got skills. And this guy, I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm fine. But I marked him. I marked him. And I marked a few others like him, as I've marked a few of you. I said, they're going to fall. You will fall. Because you can't do this on willpower. You got to walk in the spirit. And you're not taking the time to develop the understanding and the experiences. You're not learning how to yield and move by the wind of his spirit. You don't know that. Yeah, you could show up and show off when we do church stuff. But you don't know him. You know all about him. But you don't know him. See, the apostle Paul said, oh, that I may know him. And the fellowship of his sufferings. Oh, that I might know him. See, we got to learn to know him. So if we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. You know, how many times do we charge into our day and we start off with a good intention? You know, I start off with, okay, let's start my day today. Okay, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Oh, I'm going to pray the Lord's Prayer. We'll get her done. And uh, I've got this app on my phone that pops up a verse I'm supposed to read every day. And I read that, Joey. I got it done. And now, okay, now, oh, I got all kinds of stuff to do today. And you charge ahead. But you left the Holy Spirit standing right there. <laughs> you left him right there, standing there with your scripture. You closed him like you closed the app on your phone. And now you're off to do your day. But at any given moment, what happens if he nudges you? Well, number one, you won't even feel it. <laughs> Why? You done closed the app. And you didn't set alerts on the app before you closed it. You know, some apps are very smart. They say, set alerts. And some of y'all, you turned your Wi-Fi off the minute you left your prayer closet. But we're supposed to not just live in the Spirit. We're supposed to now walk in the Spirit. Well, that's not a big deal because in church, he just taught us how to do right and wrong. You know, how to be good little Christians. And I can answer every question. Yes, I believe in Jesus. 
Yes, I believe he was born of a virgin. Yes, I believe he he was crucified for my sins. Yes, I believe he rose from the dead. Yes, I believe he's coming again. So I believe all that. So I'm automatically like grandfathered in to the rest of it. But you never learned how to walk in the Spirit. Live in the Spirit. Do you remember what, the, was it Paul that said, or was it, even your own poets have said, speaking to the Jews, in him we live, and in him we move, and in him we have our being. Now right now, I've commanded focus, right? This service commanded focus. You came all the way here, and you sat, and you sang, and you, you commanded focus now. But guess what? You can't ever lose that focus in the rest of your daily activities. What do you mean by that? I mean, wherever you are, he is with you, and you need to be conscious of the fact that he's with you, so you will not respond and react in ways of the flesh, but you will respond and react in ways of the Spirit. And that's how we live and move and have our being in Him. So isn't it amazing that I think the enemy's number one greatest strategy has always been to get the church separated from the power of the Holy Spirit. Because that's our nuke. That's our great weapon is the Holy Ghost. So Paul, you know, told his young protege Timothy in first and second Timothy one six, therefore I remind you to stir up the gift that is in you. You have a gift in you. If you're born again, you've been given the gift of the Holy Spirit. If you've sought his presence if you've asked, received, pursued, you have this gift. And the enemy is constantly, man, it is amazing to me the skills he has. Because remember, when the enemy wants to get you to stop walking in the spirit, he gets you to start walking in some other desire. I'm very cautious. You know, people ask me all the time, you know, um, uh, young people, like I've had a couple young people ask me, I had someone ask me last week, uh, Pastor Dave, uh, what do you like to do? What are your hobbies? And I say, my favorite thing is what I'm doing right now. This is what I like to do. In fact, I'm very cautious with giving very much attention to anything in this earth that pulls on my desires. But don't you have desires? Eh, I crucified most of them. Why? Because they will demand my time and they will demand my attention. They will demand my money, and they, in fact, will demand to become my treasure. 
And Jesus already warned me, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So if your treasure is in this earth, your heart is in this earth, and your heart cannot be in this earth and in heaven at the same time. It's impossible. So the crucified life is literally living in a daily, you know, you have to divorce this world system. It's like you divorce your wife, but you still live in the same house. That's what it's like. I divorced the world, but I still live in the world. And then walking in the spirit means we sleep in different bedrooms. Were you married before? Oh, yeah, I was married before. I was married to this world, man. I had everything this world. I mean, I had my eye fixed on what I wanted this world to give me. But I had to divorce this world. I had to put away this world, and I had to focus and fix on the world that's to come. Remember how we started this message? Christianity is about a whole life of serving what you can't see, touch, taste, hear, smell. Physical senses don't connect, but there's something inside me, the spirit realm, connects to. It's what drives the Hindus. It's what drives those who practice yoga. It's what drives all these false religions. It's what drives the Buddhists. It's what drives them to try to find a way of connecting with the true essence. Find nirvana, whatever they call it. They have all these different things, but guess what they're all trying to find? They're all trying to find a connection with that which is eternal because inside you, there's a voice that tells you you're an eternal being and this ain't what it's all about. There's something inside you that hungers and craves for the one who created you and many are seeking him through different ways that don't lead to him. And Christianity is the only way to him. That's what Jesus said. No man comes to the Father except through me. You can't come through Muhammad. You can't come through Buddha. You can't come through an in, a Hindu God. You can't come through any kind of thing. Only through Christ. You can't come through an angel. You can't come through a devil. You can only come through Christ. And the way he said he was going to do it was he was going to send his spirit upon you. But what if you don't have an expectation for that? Because I grew up in church without an expectation for that. I remember as a kid, because I was taught and raised in church, I remember I was taught good and evil. And I remember as a kid, one day there was me, a guy named Henry, a guy named Dave, and a guy named Lester. And we're out on a Sunday afternoon, and we're out hiking in, the, in, in a canyon, and we're getting high, and we're just goofing around. Well, we got back in the car. I'll never forget this as long as I live. We're in this car, and we're like, at this time, we're 16, 17, because we had a driver's license, so we're by about 17. And we start having this conversation about, what do you want to do? You know, what are you going to be in life? And so each each of the people were given, and they came to me, and these words, I still remember it to this day. They came out of my mouth, but I have no idea why 
I do now, but then I didn't. So they said, okay, Chisholm, where do you want to be? If you had your choice to be anything you could be, what would it be? And I answered, a saint. And they started laughing. And then I started laughing. They said, why would you even say that? I said, I have no idea. But that was my answer. I would want to be a saint. <laughs> you know, in Romans chapter 1 and 2, it talks about all creation is groaning. Everything is groaning. Everything is groaning. Waiting for the creator to recreate and to fix what is broken. All creation. And the Bible says, and the thing is, everything is without excuse. There are going to be a lot of excuses come at the judgment. And there ain't a one of them going to hold water. Because God done said it wouldn't. He done said, I put inside every one of you. I put inside every one of you. And boy, the enemy will come along and he'll every, it, I guess you could say it this way. Just as Adam and Eve, there were two trees in the garden, so to speak. There were actually many trees. They were allowed to eat from all of them. But the two that we draw attention to are the truce, the two specific trees. One gave life and one gave knowledge. And there's so many Christians that come in and they think they're choosing the tree of life, but instead they are actually led by the enemy to the tree of knowledge. And they still don't realize they're in the wrong tree. And that's why they can't answer the question, what does it mean to walk in the Spirit? What does it mean to live in the Spirit? I, and if you don't believe me, go out and, how many of y'all will do that this week? Find a couple of folks that you work with or around and just ask them the question, what's it mean to walk in the Spirit? And then say, give me some examples. Give me a definition, first of all, and then give me some examples. And you'll be shocked. You'll be shocked. Proverbs 4.23 says this. Keep your heart with all diligence. For out of it spring the issues of life. Your heart is where you connect between spirit and soul. It's the eternal part of you that will live forever. And there's always this pull from the world. Galatians, let's go back over to chapter 5 again. Look at verse 6. For in Christ neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything but faith working through love. Now, whenever you see circumcision and uncircumcision, whenever you see that in the New Testament, what Paul's drawing your attention to is this was written to Jewish people, and their covenant with God was through circumcision. 
when you were eight days old, the male child was circumcised, and that was the blood covenant that they had with God. So Paul's saying now, that old covenant doesn't mean anything anymore. But what it really, what really happens is, faith is now the new covenant. Before, you know, they used to do a thing in Israel, and it sounds kind of crude to us today, but back then it was, it was the way they did it. If, if a stranger came into the synagogue and they didn't know him or know his family, they would say, show us your testimony. And if it was a man, he would drop his drawers and show him whether he'd been circumcised or not. That meant he was covenant or not covenant. So when it talks about circumcision, it was a kind of a public thing. Show me your testimony. <laughs> Not now. That was old covenant. But now, if I walk up to someone and I say, show me your testimony, what I mean is, do you walk in the Holy Spirit? Because that's the faith that is now our side of the covenant that we have to walk in. And I can always know if you're telling the truth or lying because all I have to do is watch your life. That's why Jesus said you'll know a tree by its fruits. You can't tell someone you're walking in the Holy Spirit and then do an unholy thing. You are so told on so quick. <laughs> oh, yeah, I'm a Christian. Blah, 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 blah. I'm like... No, the Bible says uh, bitter and sweet water don't come from the same well. If you're saved, you need to let your tongue know because it sure ain't saved. <laughs> Get that, it could be God. So, it says, verse 7, it says, you ran well. Who hindered you? you? You could say this of the church. You know, for example, in the, in, like I said, when I came into ministry in, in the 80s, 1986, we started this first church. And I'm telling you, man, there was a cultural movement that was shaking the nation. When I was a uh, kid, there was a movement going across the nation called the Jesus Movement, and it was rocking this planet, and people were getting saved by the, the multitudes were coming into the kingdom of God, and, and then when that charismatic movement hit full force, and people were getting baptized in the Holy Spirit left and right, I mean churches were blowing up and exploding and growing everywhere. It was the cultural cool thing to do. But then something hindered it. You know what hindered it? Greed and lust. There were men who were so gifted and so highly favored by God, but they began to allow planet Earth's things to get their attention. They stopped walking in the Spirit and they began to walk by the desire for more and more power and wealth. They begin to lose their intimacy with God and replace it with intimacy with women and men. And they were hindered. 
God would say to the generation of the 80s and 90s, you ran well, but who hindered you? And I could give you the names of some preachers who hindered the church because people say, well, if that's what it's about, I don't want nothing to do with it. To this day, we strive to overcome the abuses of men who begin to mislead the body of Christ into covetousness and greed and desire for power instead of love, faith, hope, joy, the things that God gives. That's why whenever I see any minister begin to become too material, I back away. I'm like, no, the God of this world showed you a shiny thing. And I'm going to tell you something about that. It usually takes a while for that to corrupt. It didn't happen overnight. But there's something about the human being. Three pats on the back and the hat grows three sizes. Some kind of a physics law. Three pats on the back and the hat grows. They start getting a puff head. They, they begin to forget where they come from and they begin to forget they're nothing without him. And they begin to forget that any power, influence, glory he gives you is for the building of his church and not for the building of their own empires. They begin to take the restraints off of their own lives. I remember years ago, I was having a conversation with my good friend Kevin, and this was 25 years ago. And we were talking about, okay, as we grow and get older in ministry, and I'll never forget something he said to me. He said, David, he said, God's already shown me my measure. And I said, well, help me with that. What do you mean by that? He said, every man's been given three measures. You've been given a measure of faith, a measure of grace, and a measure of rule. God's predetermined your measure. He's already predetermined what you're to walk in. And our job is to simply fulfill it. But any time we start going beyond a measure that God assigned to us, then we fall into that old trap of the devil, pride. I should have more than I have because of who I am. Those are the words that have taken many men to hell and many a woman to hell. I should have more than I have because of who I am. Careful. Careful. But for the grace of God, there you go. But for the grace of God, there go I. And I'll never forget Kevin said, David, he said, God's already shown me my measure, and I'm going to walk in my measure. And at that point in my life, I began to cry out, God, I said, okay, Father, show me my measure. And Lord, I, I, I vow to you, I'm going to stay in it. Because anything you do that is godly will keep you within your measure. But after you begin to walk in your measure, you can do ungodly things that will seem to take you into a greater measure. For example, for the businessman, 
he begins to cheat on his taxes. You know. The businessman begins to say, you know what, I'm not giving my employees a raise this year, I'm giving myself a raise. He stops being a servant leader and begins to become a tyrant of some kind. The Bible talks about this over and over and over. A pastor, he can begin to say, you know what, I got this gift. I don't have to spend all my time in prayer and seeking God. I've already I've read the Bible. I know what the Bible says. Man, I got this gift. I just grab the microphone and I can just go. And they don't know the difference. You don't know how many preachers do that. You don't know how many preachers do that. Or the preacher begins to say, well, you know, I should have more. I should have a bigger church. I should have, and, and I've found ways I can make it happen. But they're not necessarily godly ways. If I just don't preach this part of the Bible, more people will come. And if I just don't make this thing spiritual, because I'm going to tell you something. People love to eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. They're so comfortable with that tree. In fact, that tree just makes sense. It just makes more sense to me. And it does. It is also the tree of reason. The problem is we're not to live by reason. We're to live by faith. And anytime we add reason to faith, we begin to reason God out. First thing we do with reason is we reason out the supernatural side of our walk. But we've got to stay in it. Now look at this. This persuasion does not come from him who calls you. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. So Paul said, who hindered you? Galatia church, who hindered you? You started off, you ran well, but something happened. What got hold of you and pulled you back? He said, this persuasion, first of all, is not from God. And he said, you better be careful because it only takes a little leaven to leaven the whole lump. And then Paul said, I have confidence in you and the Lord that you will have no other mind. How many minds do you have? I got one single purpose, but he who troubles you shall bear his judgment, whoever he is. If you think the one being deceived has problems, wait till you see the judgment of the one who deceived him. Remember what Jesus said? You cause one of these little ones to stumble. You'd be better off if somebody put a millstone around your neck and cast you into the sea than to lead one of his little children away from him in any way. Severe judgment. So now we understand why Jesus, being assembled together in Acts chapter 1, 4 with them, commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you've heard of me. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Let me just say, today, we need the power of the baptism of the Holy Spirit 
as much, if not more, than it's ever been needed in history. Today, a day when the church, as a great majority, has divorced itself from the power and the promise. Today, we need to make sure that we are not coming to be intellectually stimulated. Paul said, I I don't know nothing among you but Christ and him crucified. That's all I know. That's all I know. Anything else he said? And he, he gave us his resume. He was one of the most class acts of his generation. Hebrew of Hebrews. Born of the tribe of Benjamin. Scholar of scholars. Educated by the Ivy League school of his time. Had more degrees than a thermometer. The man had a pedigree that was, he said, I outworked every single one of them. And he said, but I counted it all loss for the knowledge of the cross. Count it all dung, he said. Crap. Count it all crap for the knowledge of Christ. Everything in your life, you've got to count as crap in comparison to the knowledge of Christ and walking with him daily. So he said, you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Luke 24, 48 says, you're witnesses of these things. Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you. But tarry in Jerusalem until you're endued with power from on high. People say, well, I I go to church, but I don't consider myself endued with power from on high. I say, you better find another church. You better find a church that will give you faith and expectation to be endued with power from on high. You better find a church that will teach you, behold, I give you power over all the power of the enemy. Power to tread upon serpents and scorpions and nothing shall by any means hurt you. You need to find someone that will raise your faith and expectations that he wants to fill me with the power of the Holy Ghost. So many Christians are afraid of the devil when the devil's supposed to be afraid of you. Think about it. Then we go to Jude, verse 20. Jude, verse 20. <laughs> but you, beloved, building up yourselves in your most holy faith praying in the Holy Spirit but you beloved building up yourselves on your most holy faith praying in the Holy Spirit what does that mean? Well, I'm supposed to walk in the Spirit. I'm supposed to live in the Spirit. But here I'm supposed to pray in the Spirit. You mean I can pray out of the Spirit? Hmm? 
and I can pray in the Spirit. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, some every year we try to we try to participate in some community events that are rallying Christians together. And my goodness, when I hear how pastors pray, oh my gosh. I won't take an offering for them and say, you poor thing. You poor thing. Here, let us help you. You poor thing. They pray poor. They pray poorly. They don't pray with power. Most of them Google prayers on the internet and read them. Where's the unction of the Holy Ghost? But one, after, one by one they get up and they liturgize. They have a liturgy. They have a prayer that is so reasonable. It, it's intellectual. But there's no power. There's no power. We were part of an outreach to some troubled youth in the community. And I was there at lunch and they said, we're going to have a, a devotional. And they brought up this guy. He was a youth pastor of another church. And he said, I'm going to give you a devotional. Now, here are kids that have been conceived in iniquity. These are kids that are so broken, they don't have homes, they don't have parents, they're in the system. These are the most abused, neglected children in our community. They're, in, they're literally being raised by the courts, foster homes. And this guy gets up. And this guy tells some stupid story that had, didn't have enough power to blow the fuzz off a peanut. It was embarrassing. I laid my head down and began to pray in the Spirit. And we told the leader that if you don't want to put someone up that has some power, we won't be part of it. And you know what he said? Oh, no, no, no. No, you guys provide the speaker next year. And we said, oh, yeah, we will. <laughs> oh, yeah, we will. We'll provide the speaker next year. Except we'll put up someone that's got some power that can look at these kids and say, forget about the foolishness you've seen in life and let us take you to the one that can set you free. Let us take you to the one that can cast the devils out of you. Let us take you to a real father who loves you and cares for you and will provide for you and will pull you out of this mess that your first parents got you into. So Greg Nangle's going to preach. The next one. Do you know he prays, he, he always, I love putting him up. I mean, he's, he's what we call a cleanup batter. He bats cleanup for the rock. 
And, and if we're going to be somewhere out in public, and the reason I like to, I love to use Greg, Greg was on the local news every day almost for the last 20 years. Detective Greg Dangle being interviewed by one of the WTAP reporters. Everyone knows him. Most respect him. If you've been arrested in this room right now, you probably know Greg. And now his son, Colton, let's just put it that way. But I mean, he'll just stand up and you'll have these little liturgy red prayers. And then they give the mic to Greg. <laughs> and what's funny is he gets up and he preaches the word with power and he preaches the promises of God with passion. And every time the, <laughs> the community people go, that guy, I like that guy. And they talk about him. In fact, the mayor has said many times, I love when Greg gets hold of that microphone, man. He just brings the heat. The mayor came down to hear our young people preach at the city park event. He wanted to hear them because he knows what this church sounds, stands for. It's about power. Praying in the Holy Spirit. Building up yourself on your most holy faith. Praying in the Holy Spirit. And what exactly does that mean? What does it mean? How do you pray in the Holy Spirit? How do you do that? Well, he wouldn't tell us to do it if it wasn't an expectation. If there wasn't a faith building. In fact, the word building is in this. You getting built. Building you up. Well, when we go through the New Testament, you know, the Bible is not, you, the, the things of God are not hidden from you. They're hidden for you. And the novice We'll move right through this stuff and never see it. But once you do what the scripture says and you begin to study and you begin to show yourself approved unto God, a workman rightly dividing the word of truth, all of a sudden the Bible code begins to come together and you begin to find these links and you begin to put the pieces together and you begin to have understanding of what he created you to be, who you cre he created you to be, what he created you to do. And you say, what does that mean? Well, let me give you a clue. 1 Corinthians 14, 14. 1 Corinthians 14, 14. And I want you to see this. Huh. Man, when I found this about 40 years ago, I was ruined for any other. I'm telling you. I ain't wrote out a prayer since. Never will. Don't need to write out a prayer. Why? I got an unction. Paul said, but we have an unction from the Holy One. I don't have to write out a prayer. I open my mouth and begin to pray. And the Holy Ghost takes hold of my tongue and starts beating the ears of my listeners. <laughs> I have people all the time say, hey, Pastor Dave, can you send me the notes from that message? And I do. I send them to you. And you go, well, that wasn't no notes. That was just scriptures. And I said, yeah. Well, where'd all that other stuff come from? 
The answer is the Holy Ghost. Where'd all that other stuff come from? First Corinthians fourteen fourteen. For if I pray in a tongue, what's this next? What's it say? Oh, 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 oh. Now oh, there he goes talking about tongues again. What's the big deal with tongues? Right here is the big deal with tongues. What's the big deal you make about them? Well, you don't need all that. Yes, you do. Well, I don't know if I believe in that. I do. He does. I can't help it you want to rip half the Bible out. I can't help it you don't believe the Bible. I'm here to help those that do. If I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays. But my understanding is unfruitful. Well, why would we do anything without understanding? Because we're not eating from the tree of knowledge. We're eating from the tree of life. And the tree of life goes beyond understanding. What happens when I pray in a tongue? My spirit prays. And what happens when I pray in the spirit? I build myself up on my most holy faith. Oh, you mean those two things go together? Yeah. They absolutely go together. You know how most of you in this room, hopefully, the Lord willing, before you left home this morning, you looked in the mirror to see if you matched. Why? Because someone told you, that don't go with that. Right? So hopefully you looked in the mirror. You know, as I was... uh, my girls were growing up and they were getting into the fashion age of the late teen years. I remember there were more than one time, you know, we had a two-story home and I'd come down the stairs and my daughter Jamie was the fashion police in our house. And I remember one day I'm bouncing down the stairs. She said, oh, no, dad, uh-uh, no, 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 get back up there. You are not wearing that. I'm like, what? She said, dad, give me your credit card. I will fix this. And from that day forward, every time I'd say, Jamie, go get me some clothes. Well, you got to match the principles of God. You got to match the truths of the scriptures. We got this whole book that is sewn together. It's woven together. And the Bible calls it the mind of the spirit. The mind of the spirit. So Dave, what's the big deal about praying in tongues? Why are you you always on me about praying in tongues? Well, one thing I want you to build yourself up on your most holy faith. 
And I want you to understand that your spirit can pray just like mine can. And praying in tongues adds super to your natural. Praying in tongues means it's no longer just your brain trying to figure something out. Now you're hooked up with the Holy Ghost who pulls out of your belly and you begin to pray. The mysteries and the hidden secrets of God begin to be revealed. The mysteries of the Spirit begin to be revealed. When I pray in tongues, and I pray in tongues, I've prayed in tongues probably more than two hours today. I pray in tongues every day. A lot of you say, I have prayed in tongues, but you left it here when you left. I pray in tongues a lot more than I pray in English. Why? Because my brain, my brain is limited but my spirit is not. Because in the spirit, I speak mysteries. Now, we'll get into 1 Corinthians 14 next time, and we'll dig through this. And we're going to find out what the Apostle Paul really said about it. Paul said, don't speak in tongues. No, Paul never said that. In fact, Paul said, do not forbid to speak in tongues. And Paul said, I thank God I speak in tongues more than all of you. That's what Paul said. Paul said, just do it decently and in order not to cause confusion among those who are unlearned, which is about 90% of America, unfortunately. You can't even find a Pentecostal church anymore that the people are taught how, when, where, and why we pray in tongues. But we're going to learn it here. Amen? Come on up, guys. We're going to learn it here. We're going to learn it here. Amen? I said, we're going to learn it here. And we're going to practice it here. And we're going to get it right here. Why? I want to I lead an army that is filled with power. I want to lead an army in this city that is not cowered in a corner, afraid of what the devil's going to do next. Well, I'm a, you know, anytime you hear a Christian say, well, you know the devil, say, oh, yeah, what about God? You know what the Bible says? It says magnify God. But you know what Christians do? They magnify the devil. Oh, the devil. The devil, the devil. I'm like, God, God, God. Little devil, big God. Next time you even feel like giving glory to the devil because how much power he's got, just say, little devil, big God. Big God. Big God. Powerful God. And it ain't big devil little church. No. It's powerful church. God didn't give the devil the power to cast out the church. He gave the church the power to cast out devils. Amen. Well, I've heard there's a couple Catholic priests that do that. Well, I can show you a few more that aren't Catholic priests. They'll cast the devil out of you. Just walk up and tell Gary and Angle you got a devil. And then all I can say is hold on. Because Gary, Gary's going to say, oh, it's on. It's on like Donkey Kong. We're going for it. Come out! In the name of Jesus, come out! Powerful church. Glorious church. You'll never walk without spot or wrinkle until you learn to walk in the Spirit. 
Amen. Stand with me this morning.